Thank you so much, Joe, for leading us in our service. Thank you all for tuning in. And we pray that every time as we gather as God's people, friends who come to join us, we will all listen to God's word and think especially about God's gift to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Pastor Joe announced, and it was read the Bible passages by Aaron and Ellie, we thank God for the reading of His Word, the hearing of His Word. We've just finished the series on Revelation. Now we are starting on Colossians. Let's begin our time by thinking through the issue of the danger of our disconnected life. What on earth is a disconnected life and may turn up in this different ways? What was your experience of being disconnected, decoupled on hinge? And so I used to cycle to school, secondary school, uh, in Malaysia in my, in, while living there. And I gave one of my friends one day uh, a, a ride home from school. And it, you, you, you carry that person by them sitting on the bar between you on the seat here and the handle in front. And they sit there. And so we loved it. You know why? Because the route back from school to our home was downhill. And as we went downhill, all of a sudden, my brakes, my bicycle brakes snapped. Right? They got disconnected. And uh, the law acceleration is mass plus speed. And of all days, my, my brakes had to snap. It was the day I was carrying my friend right, and giving him a ride downhill. So we hurtled downhill and I was frantically trying to turn the wheel to slow it down, slow it down, but it couldn't slow it down because the hill was about 500 meters or more. And it just, we just went on. And the last thing, the desperate thing, was to put both my feet down, my shoes down, and try and slow it down, just slow it down. I could feel the heat burning through my bata shoes. And lesson there is never give bicycle rides to friend downhill but by god's grace at the time we managed to turn into a petrol kiosk and go round and round a petrol kiosk and didn't get into bigger trouble did you read of five-year-old tom hudgel of the uk he has two prosthetic legs and he set out to walk to raise five thousand pounds for the national health system there. And he intended to walk the whole of June that has just passed. And guess how much he raised? How much did five-year-old Tom raise? He raised 1.1 million pounds as of yesterday when it caught up with the news. It could have been more by now. But that was not the amazing thing about Tom Hudgel. The more amazing thing is that Tom had just only learned to walk on crutches a few weeks before he endeavoured this fundraising effort. A few weeks before he learned to walk for the very first time in his life. And he walked about six miles, which is equivalent of nine kilometres. The most amazing thing is that Tony, not Tom, Tony Hodges, lost both his legs. He lost both his legs. How? He was physically abused by his parents as a newborn. And the abuse was so bad that Tony was left on life support at London's Children's Hospital. And what's the lesson? Lesson is, when we as parents, in the heat of anger, meltdown, a moment in our life, are disconnected from the truth that there is a God who gives us life, a God who gives us children, a God to whom we are answerable for life and children. 
when we snap like my bicycle bricks, when we become unhinged, our thoughts, our emotions, our actions are decoupled from God. When that happens, we actually become a nightmare to live with. That is the danger of our disconnected life. When we become unhinged or disconnected, decoupled from God, life becomes totally a nightmare. And this is true also at the societal level. Because did you hear of Jack Leslie? Jack Leslie. He was the best in, so in soccer. He was a brilliant soccer player. He was the best left winger in the country in the 1920s. And in 1925, he was one of two black players in the British Football League at that time. And they were choosing a squad for their, uh, choosing a team for their national squad. And then he was shortlisted. And when they found out that his father was a coloured person, a Jamaican, they dropped him totally. So a hundred years later now, 2020, there's a campaign to raise, to, to raise funds to build a statue to Jack Leslie, who was deprived of his rightful place. He was skillful, he was talented, he was well-mannered, but deprived of a rightful place in the British soccer team, team at that time. And so it's not just on the personal level, like five-year-old Tony. When we are disconnected from the truth that God created us all equal, life becomes ugly, unjust, and at times useless. And so here is the importance of either the connected or the disconnected life. When we read Colossians, you read this. The Colossian Christians were facing a problem. And what was the problem? The problem was a life-threatening one. And we pick it up from two verses in chapter 2, when Paul writes this. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Be rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught overflowing with thankfulness. Basically, the message of Paul to the Christians then and to us is, you begin with Christ, you continue with Christ, you finish with Christ. Don't ever leave Jesus out of your life. Why was that important? Because was, there was, in all likelihood, false teaching that was surfacing among the Colossian Christians. And what were they teaching? They were teaching this. Sorry, the wordings are too small. You take a look at this. Chapter 2, verse 16. And 2, verse 16 says this. They have lost, they do not let anyone who delights in the false humility and worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together as God causes it to grow. You know the language that's there? Very important. Lost connection with the head which means Christ is the head of his church, the body. It was Paul's way of saying against the false teachers and against the heresy, if you leave Jesus behind, you are more and more decoupled from him. You are more and more straying from him. You are more and more disconnected from him. Guess what? 
Though you may be doing all these things, you may be keeping the law, you may be having spiritual experiences, you may be denying your body and going on fast, though you are doing all these things, you are actually disconnected from Christ. If you're disconnected from Christ, you are not going to heaven. And the opposite of not going to heaven in biblical language is you and me are headed towards eternity without God, a place called hell. There is no more frightening thing than to hear that in our lives. And so, the lesson here, the Colossian heresy, the false teachers had come in and started to make them feel insecure about Jesus. Here is a mark of all false teaching. Anyone or anything who comes along and whispers in your ears, you have Jesus, right? That's wonderful. But the moment they add a but, but have you been baptised in the Spirit? Have you been slain in the Spirit? But have you undergone this training? But have you gone on that mission trip? But have you gone to the prayer mountain? You have Christ, but that is always making us insecure about the person and the finished work of Jesus, suffering, dying, rising for us. When people come along and do that, they are actually disconnecting us from Jesus as the head of the body. It presents to us a bogus Christianity, an imitation Christianity, a fake Christianity, which seems so right. So they were still looking very religious as they kept the law. They were still looking very religious as they worshipped with angels. We'll find out about that later. They were still very religious as they beat the body and denied themselves. They were still doing churchy things, ministry things, but they were no longer doing the Jesus Christ things. So, Paul's remedy to this heresy, quite simple. He's making the Colossian Christians fall in love with Jesus again and again. And as the false teachers come to disconnect them from Jesus, Paul's role is to reconnect them with the beautiful Lord Jesus. And through Christ and true faith in Him, they will be safe. They have not lost their place in heaven. You know, when we counsel couples going through a hard time, uh, one of the things I usually ask the couples is, can you remember? Because by the time they come for counselling with us as pastors or counsellors out there, they find so many things wrong with each other. And we need to go back, or at least I need to go back and ask them, if you remember when you started dating, leading to your wedding and marriage, what is it you fell in love with the person for? What is it? Right? The top three things, the top five things you fell in love. And sometimes the wife will say, I fell in love with him for his humour, but there is no humour in him anymore. I fell in love with him because he was such a, he was such a big-hearted person. He would always be problem-solving. Or he could say, the husband, I fell in love with her because she's so, so chill, so cool, nothing ever ruffles her. But now in marriage, it's totally different. Now with children, it's totally different. You know, when the spouses remember what they fell in love with each other for, usually the one listening to it, right, tears up. Almost 80-90%, they tear up. Because you know why? They haven't heard that love language from their, their spouse. Because familiarity with each other in our marriages and our families does breed contempt. And in a counselling situation, when we ask them to go back and recount that and see when they were tender with each other, when they loved each other, it comes and it strikes them. 
This is what Paul is doing to the Colossian Christians. Never get used to belittling Jesus, sidelining Jesus, and thinking that what he did for you on the cross, what he suffered for you, is something you can do away with and disconnect and just go into your churchy ministry and your churchy ministry and your experiences and your, and your practices will lead you nowhere. And so a simple outline to Colossians is, scholars say that it's all about the supremacy of Jesus above everything else, above the law, above Christian experiences, above, above Christian ministry, above, above Christian disciplines. Right? So Jesus' supremacy, there's prayer for the Colossian Christians and praise to, to Jesus, a hymn to Jesus in the final part of chapter 1. Then Jesus' supremacy and how he called Paul, who was at that time so against him by him being a persecutor of the church and met him on Damascus Road and turned him around to be an apostle for the Gentiles. And then in chapter 2, verse 5 to 23, Jesus' supremacy scuttled, undermined by spiritual con men, by spiritual counterfeits, and Paul is going to attack that deeply. And then Jesus' supremacy, once we understand that all that is wrong, they've disconnected you from the true Christ and the true Christian mission and the true Christian faith, then you come back to Christ, this is how you live your Christian life, personally. You put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You love one another. And finally, in chapter 2 onwards, Jesus' supremacy and world mission. He says, pray. Pray for open doors that I, Paul, may go forth and proclaim the gospel. And so that's the huge picture, the overall picture of Colossians 1-4. But in this portion that we are dealing with, we are dealing with Jesus' supremacy in Paul's prayer for the Christians, Colossian Christians, and then his praise for them in the latter part of it. And there are three things. He firstly asserts he's the true apostle from God. He tells them about true Christian experiences and then he tells them about true Christian prayer and from that prayer, whatever we pray for to God comes true Christian life and ministry and mission. So, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Whatever you do not know about Paul and his audience, Paul, he is an apostle of Christ. And they, they are in Christ. And Paul is saying his whole identity, his whole ministry, his whole destiny is wrapped up with the beautiful person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's the mark of a true apostle. Taking people, pointing people to Jesus again and again and again no matter what the circumstances. The true Christian experience, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope that is stored up for you. What lessons can we learn? Did you notice that Paul begins with Always thank God. By that, we don't mean that every single moment, every single moment of the day, he's praying all the time. But whenever they pray, they never stop giving thanks to God for them. 
for the converts who have heard the glorious gospel. And so thanksgiving is a wonderful thing to have. You read Paul's prayers and he's filled with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an ingredient of our new Christian life. And why is it so important? It's a non-negotiable ingredient of our prayers, a non-negotiable ingredient of our thoughts and words and deeds because it acknowledges God's sovereignty over our lives. That God is always working to save and is orchestrating all the circumstances in our life. So in these four chapters, you're going to hear Paul mention thanksgiving six to eight times. Six to eight times he mentions the necessity of thanksgiving. And so it's an important ingredient. I want to ask you, just want to ask you at this point, the last week, the past month, has there been any thanksgiving? Maybe one of the missing dimensions of our life is the lack of thanksgiving to God for all circumstances. So did I tell you the story? I've told this a few times that we're all in um, not just cabin fever, but baking fever. And all of us are now become uh, COVID-19 bakers. So my wife sent me out to get whipping cream. I never heard of whipping cream, of all sorts of cream, but she said she, want, she needed it. And she needed it for the making of tiramisu to give to somebody. And so I went to this supermarket, looked high and low, the baking section, and baking section almost all gone. And the sign was, we will return soon, returning soon, returning soon. So many of the condiments were gone. So I went to the checkout counter, walked out, got a car, said, Mona, I, I couldn't get it, but I got another type of cream. said, no, it has to be whipping cream. Huh? So I went back again and said, where might I, you find it? You might find it in the, I don't know, the milk section. So I went back to the milk section, checked it, couldn't find it. So finally, no choice, I tried to look for staff, but so few staff there. And finally, I asked this, where's the whipping cream? Said there. So I went and picked it up, came back. And thank God I found it because if I came back to the house without the whipping cream, uh, the whipping could have been done to me. But what's a non-negotiable ingredient of your life? A non-negotiable ingredient of your life and my life must be thankfulness to God for always orchestrating all things to save us and to keep us safe from Satan and sin in our lives. That's how Paul thinks about it. So true Christian experience, three things, faith in Christ Jesus, love for the saints, hope in heaven. That flows from hope in heaven. So let's explore each of them. This faith in Christ Jesus is not subjective inside us. Because sometimes we might hear as pastors or full-time workers or missionaries, people coming up to you and so often I've heard in all my years as a pastor here, Pastor Chris cannot be like you lah. You, the pastors, the gospel workers, our missionaries, right? They are, their faith is much greater than mine. And I slowly have to say to them, no, no, no. Biblically speaking, the faith that we all have is equal. Some don't have more, some don't have less. So I met this person years and years ago in my early ministry in Princep Street. He became paralyzed neck down from a swimming accident. As a result of that, his parents brought him all over, flew him all over Asia, Hong Kong, Taiwan, temples, to, to look for help to save him. But nothing cured him. And then somebody shared the gospel with him and he believed Jesus as a saviour. And some well-intentioned friends invited him to a Christian healing rally here in Singapore. As he went to that rally, the healer was coming along and he was put there by his friends because um, in a wheelchair in his sarong. 
And so they were helpless as the healer came along. And they said, stand up, be healed. And he tried to, but he couldn't. So the helpers there laid him, took him from the wheelchair and laid him on the ground at the stadium. And basically the message to him was that he lacked faith in God and faith in the healer. And as he shared with me in my office all those years ago, so I was lying there, looking at the sky as this team of healers passed me by. And tears were streaming down there, so paralyzed, I couldn't do anything. And I, you think I don't want to have 110% faith to be healed? You mean I don't want to walk again? Sometimes the wrong theology that we are not healed because we lack faith or there's a certain stubborn sin in our life or leftover sin, generational sin from our parents, instead of building up the faith, crushes the faith pilgrimage of a true believer. Faith is not something subjective. I have more because I went to Bible college. I have more because Pastor Jeff has more because he's Reverend Jeff Quack. This faith is in Christ Jesus. In Christ is used 13 times in this letter. And it basically says all believers in Christ have it equally. And so the important thing to ask is, is yours a true faith in Christ? If yours is a true faith in Christ, nobody can come and shake it. It's not subjective. Some have 90%, some have 70%. And of course, all ordained pastors and missionaries, we have 110% that is mistaken understanding of faith. If we have faith, then it will flow into love for all the saints. Because we call this a divine couplet, a divine twin. And as we read in chapter 1 verse 7, this love is a love produced in us, reproduced in us by the Holy Spirit. It's not a love that you and I have. And so if we claim that we are true Christians, this should be increasingly our true Christian experience. Faith in Christ Jesus, faith in Him as Saviour of the world, ruler of the kings of this world, save me from Satan, forgive me of sin, cancel my death, make me a child of God. If I believe in all those things, then there should be increasing love for fellow believers and for them between Jews and Gentiles in the early churches, in Colossae, in Rome, as we read in Revelation, in Laodicea, in Ephesus, in Smyrna, in Pergamon, everywhere where there was Jewish Gentile believers who never loved each other before, but now in Christ must love each other. Which leads us to ask, right? So oftentimes our love, if it doesn't flow from faith in Christ Jesus and it's not a love produced by the Holy Spirit through prayer in our lives, our love is actually a behavioural love. Our love is actually a love that you and me presume, I'm quite a loving person, right? I'm quite a nice person, right? I, I love the world, and we can sing the Michael Jackson song, I, we love the world, we want to go and help the world and heal the world. But we don't love anyone in particular. And when we walk that path day by day, we think we are genuinely loving, but I just can't love this particular person in my marriage, in my family, in my household, in my office, in my DG, my discipleship group in my ministry, in my music team, we are always waiting for the right person to love or we're waiting for the right behaviour in the wrong person to love. Instead of 
loving the person that God, that seems so unlovable before me? And it's very important that we need to ask this question. And what is the question? Maybe God is asking you now, is yours a true Christian experience? Right? What is the true Christian experience? Let me go back. The true Christian experience, we live with the spiritual opium that we can love people generally, but not love anyone specifically. You expect me to love that incompetent man or woman who is called my husband or my wife? You expect me to love that nerve-wracking teenager who lives in my Christian home? You expect me to, live, to love my unreasonable father or mother? You know how life has been so difficult throughout this cabin fever. You expect me to love that irritating person in my discipleship group? You expect me to love that unattractive dude who is uh, showing interest in me, in our Christian fellowship, in our youth fellowship? You expect me to love that very loud and unusual and you know, foreigner, newcomer in my group? In all those things, in all those occasions, God's high calling is to love the unlovable. Faith in Christ Jesus and love for those who we think we cannot love. And this can only spring from our hope in heaven. And our hope in heaven, as you read the book of Colossians, as we just read in uh, Revelation, is the unseen world of spiritual reality, heaven. When Jesus rules, He is king, He is victorious, He is glorious. And by the Spirit of God, we are moving step by step closer to our hope in heaven. And this hope in heaven is untouched by COVID-19, untouched by any virus now and in the future, unaffected by any spiritual forces that Satan may send against us, is untouched by any false teacher that might come, is untouched. It is this hope in heaven, purchased by Christ, that gives birth to faith in Him and love for each other. It is a hope that will be revealed when Jesus returns. And so, Paul is saying to them, these are the real markers of authentic, bona fide Christian experience. So I want to ask you, is that your Christian experience? Increasing faith in Christ, increasing love for the people He has called you to love, springing from your hope in heaven. And then he goes on to say, that this gospel that has come to you is actually bearing fruit all over the world. It doesn't mean that everyone is being safe and uh, every place has heard the gospel because now it was just 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. But Paul is saying as Jesus' apostle to the Gentiles, look at all the different places is gone. right? Tatira, Sardis, Pergamon, Pamphylia, Laodicea, Colossae, right? It has gone all over Asia Minor. And wherever it has landed, the good news has landed through Paul and the one who brought the gospel to the Colossians was Epaphras. Wherever it has landed, no matter how many temples there are, no matter who was the king, Caesar at that time, no matter what the political opposition, 
no, more, no matter what the religious alternatives, no matter what the social uh, hostility, this gospel made disciples, converted people. So whatever you do not know about the true Christian experience, it must be this. What is it? It is faith, hope and love. And it's about God and the gospel on the move. So here is Paul on the left-hand side. He's preaching the glorious gospel to the Christians there at Colossae and then reconnecting them back to God and Jesus because Jesus is the final revelation from God, the final redeemer from God. And from that, you get true, not bogus Christianity. You get a true experience of faith, hope and love and you get the true mission. You're always on the move for Christ. Now, what the false teachers and the heresy that was springing up was this. More and more so, they were disconnecting the supremacy of Jesus and get them to focus on their false experience. We are now, have you experienced this? We worshipped with angels yesterday. Have you experienced this? Uh, we, we kept the law. Have you experienced this? False piety. We fasted and fasted and we felt so close to God. You fast a lot, you'll be very close to God. And all those things you could do horizontally without the vertical faith in Christ Jesus of the hope secured in heaven for us. And once you move away from that vertical dimension of Jesus and church becomes churchianity, no more Christianity, we are in eternal danger where the experience is no longer faith, hope and love and us always on the move to share the glorious gospel. And so that was at the heart of the danger there. From this point onwards, from verse 9 onwards, he goes into true prayers. And so from the day we heard about you, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And what is God's will? He just told you that. God's will is all about the person and work of Jesus. Jesus coming as God's promised Messiah, destroying Satan's work, forgiving you, you and me of our sins and making us the children of God. That's God's will, the Saviour, the Redeemer and asking you to be filled with knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so you know this, but Paul wants you, he prays for them, he wants them to know this more and more, God's will for them in Christ. And in knowing this, is not informational, it's relational. The more you know God the Father and His will, fulfilled in Jesus, and this is what the Spirit does in you, the more you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And so to live this life, Paul tells them, you not just have to pray, but you have to be strengthened with all power. And what power does he refer to? He will come to this at the end of chapter 1. He obviously refers to the resurrection power. The resurrection power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, giving thanks, the life of thanksgiving, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. And never miss this. Whatever you do not know about what the Lord Jesus, the majesty of the Lord Jesus, the purity of the Lord Jesus, the humility of the Lord Jesus, the beauty of the Lord Jesus, He has delivered you and me from what? from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son God loves, in whom we have redemption 
In redemption, we are saved from the power of sin. In forgiveness, we are saved from the guilt of sin. You see how mighty it is? You and me need to be saved firstly from the power of sin that day by day controls you. And when you and me sin, you suffer from the guilt of sin. I did sin against God in thought and word and did. And in Christ, both the power of sin and the guilt of sin is dealt with as He transfers us from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. So we can only but summarize here. The prayer of Paul breaks into two main parts. First part is to know God's will. And know God's will is, we have said earlier, it's all about the person and work of Jesus saving us from the dominion of darkness and transferring us into God's kingdom by the finished work of Jesus. And once you and me understand this God's will, every day you'll be praying to walk a life worthy of Him, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good thing, giving thanks to Him, because why? He has delivered you from a kingdom of Satan and darkness to the kingdom of Jesus. But to get to fulfill God's will, you and, need, you and me need to pray to be strengthened by no less than the dynamite Spirit of God working in us, giving us endurance and patience for what? In Paul's life, you will speak about all the afflictions and all the sufferings that he experienced in his life because he preached the gospel and he faced opposition, he faced persecution, he faced shipwrecks, he faced beatings, all because he was called to do this. And so, is that what you pray every day? To know God's will in Christ more and more, to know Jesus more and more, your relationship with Him, and to be strengthened by His power to live to please Him. Knowing God's will and power to live according to this. So this is the true Christian experience. The dominion of darkness, once you were alienated, you were hostile in your mind, you were doing evil deeds. But now, but now, through Christ and by the Spirit, what is it we can do and must do? Through Christ in the Spirit, no area of your life will be unconnected to God and no area of your life will be unsurrendered to Jesus Christ. So we ask the question, dare you try to live life by yourself? So we caught up with a couple who used to be here, but they migrated overseas. And very sadly, we heard that the husband has come now, now with a terminal illness. But they sent us a message to say that they just wanted to connect with us. And so just last week, we caught up with them. And they did that just to say, Chris, Mona, we just want to say thanks because... Um, because at least I, he said, the husband, I learned two things from you in your ministry. You taught us that wherever we go, in terms of work, migration, we, the first thing we should find is actually a church. Because if I say I center my life around Christ, I must center my life around the body of Christ. So don't find school first, don't find job first, don't find hospital first, don't, find, uh, don't go buy a car, go find a church first. That serves him well. The second thing we learned from you, he says, I can't remember the passage, but you're preaching on suffering, and you said something like, when we suffer, don't ask why me, ask why not me.
And here he is. The cancer has spread all over his body and gone to his brain. And he says, my life now is so clear. I live with clarity every day. I live with humility every day. Everything is so clear why I'm here. And every day, if I'm healthy enough, when my work colleagues come and visit me, I just pray for courage to share with them my hope in Jesus, that I'm unafraid to die. You know what this man was sharing with me? His life now, every part of his life is connected, reconnected back to God by being reconnected back to Jesus as his Saviour and his Lord. How dare we step into any area of our life without God? How dare we? How dare you step into a relationship without firstly talking to the Lord Jesus? How dare you end a marriage without firstly talking to the Lord Jesus? How dare you break up your family without firstly talking to the Lord Jesus? How dare you, dare you go into an operating theatre without committing your life to God, your Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus? How dare you start school and a new term without asking God to give you new friends who will be friends with you and not bully you? How dare you? Every area of your life must be lived, connected to Jesus and surrendered to Jesus. That's at the heart of this prayer, a life worthy of Him and pleasing to Him, pleasing to Him. So I want to ask of you and me, we have traced this biblically, that the true Christian experience and the true Christian ministry, now we're going to trace it historically and then trace it to our present situation here in Singapore and indeed to ARPC. But let's remind ourselves again, true Christianity, Paul and the Colossian Christians then, true experience, faith, hope that spring from hope in heaven, that is untouched by any crisis, any pandemic, any enemy. And then we keep going on true mission, open doors, on the move for Christ in Asia Minor then in the first century, on the move for Christ as the gospel went to the west and then came to the east here in not churchianity, disconnected and still doing the churchy thing, the religious thing, but totally disconnected and no experience of growing faith, growing love, growing hope, and growing burden to share Christ with people. And so I do not know how much of Singapore church history you know. I still commend to you again and again that singular volume written by Dr. Bobby Sung in his good time. So again, I went back to research it and I shared this with you. The gospel came to us and one of the men who brought the gospel was Keysbury, Benjamin Keysbury. And he built the Malay Chapel. That was his dream, reaching out to the local people here. And the Malay Mission Chapel would be out of sync with our times. It would be very hard to build such a chapel or church anymore in Southeast Asia with that name and the title there. He stopped over on the way to being a missionary in China. As he stopped over in Singapore, he fell in love with the people here and felt God burdening his heart. 
and he preached on Sundays, he translated the Bible, he managed a printing press, he ran a day school, a boarding school, he helped the poor. But through all of that, he had a weak heart. He was warned to reduce his workload, but he just kept on full on. And his stopover lasted for 38 years. He died on 6 September 1875. And this was his parting words. The time is coming when the Mohammedans will acknowledge and worship the Saviour. And that was the term used to refer to, to uh, those who believe in, in Islam at that time. And that was Keysbury. He, he, he thought his mission was truly to them, the Malay Muslims. And so he gave his whole life, convicted by God, burdened by God, delighting in God's will in this. You know, in the 1800s, when the gospel first came to us, what was life like in Singapore? The three main social problems of Singapore in the 1800s was opium addiction. They estimated that maybe one quarter to one third of the Chinese population here were addicted to opium. And then there were secret societies because this came from southern China and spilled over into Southeast Asia wherever the Chinese landed as migrant workers. And then the Indians came from India and then abuse of women. Secret societies totally monopolized the local Chinese population at the time. They estimated that 60% of the Chinese population here were members of societies. If they were not, then the other 40% had to pay extortion money for their businesses and their, and their families to be protected, or else things might happen to them. And so, new recruits would have to take vows in a religious setting, a so-called spiritual setting, and they took these vows, let me read, drinking a potion right, mixed with drops of blood, they took this oath, and if ever they broke this oath, they'll be killed without mercy. The early Christian missionaries came and continued to preach the gospel, and a good number of people were converted from secret societies. Guess what? As they came to hear of the Lord Jesus, they were told to break free from this and no longer to take those vows to be unafraid. And so secret societies started to lose more and more to Christian conversion. And one day, trouble broke out. Trouble broke out in 1851 because the secret societies struck back. And this led to a general attack upon Christians all around the island. From Serangoon to Bukit Timah to Kranji to Lim Chukang, Christians ran for shelter. Because many Christians were confronted by groups of secret societies, 20 people surrounded them, 50 people surrounded them, telling them to give up their faith. The tiny police force of the 1850s could not handle the secret societies. After a week of violence, they deployed 50 new sepoys. Sepoys are the Indian police and military forces. By that time, they estimated 500 Christians had died at the hands of the secret societies. Even there, Christ broke through this dominion and they were willing to stand up, the early Christians, for believing in Christ and not make those vows. 
What about the abuse of women? The abuse of women, the stats at that time, let me just give it to you. In 1860, the population, the ratio between men and women, among the Chinese population, 14 men to one woman. Among the Indian migrant population, eight men to one woman. They estimated by 1860 that 80% of the girls here in Singapore ended up in brothels, red light areas. And most of them were 13 to 16 years old. Many of the young girls at the time faced what? If they were born to Chinese families, Chinese families and fathers did not look on girls favorably. Sometimes they would practice infanticide, they would try to drown them, or just abandon them on the streets, or sell them into slavery. 80% in the red light area. This news of what was happening here in Southeast Asia, this news of what was happening here in Singapore, in Malaya at that time, reached the years of a young uh, Sophia Cook in, in England. And at times she was a governess working in a pastor's home and she heard of these needs from the missionaries who had come back, of unwanted girls drowned by their disappointed parents, of young girls sold off to sex slavery and it started to burden her. And then she prayed to God, she was convert, convicted by this, she landed on our shores and started to work and to take over the work at Chinese Girls' School. Chinese Girls' School was started by London Missionary Society. And its main purpose was, besides everything else, to save unwanted girls, which was such a social problem at that time. And so what did she do? Sophia Cook. She taught them the Bible daily. They worshipped at the Malay Chapel. Then if they got converted by hearing the Word of God and hearing about Jesus, she would personally give them a Bible, a prayer book, the Cruden's Concordance of the Bible. She'll give them a Malay-English dictionary. And then she would bring them along to start to do good works. And what kind of good works? She'll bring them along to visit hospitals, two hospitals at a time. And let me read. At the hospitals, they would share um, home-cooked food, carefully embroidered pillowcases, distribute them to the patients. Many of the patients in the hospitals at the time were utterly destitute and friendless. Sometimes the girl would venture into slum areas led by Sophia Cook, assisting the poor, nursing the sick, cleaning the lepers, and rendering whatever service their tiny hands. Last but not least, because it was a male-dominated world, and marriage was the only, in one sense, acceptable social convention. As she, as God brought these girls off the streets to her, as she taught them the Bible and gave them Christ, how would she send them back to society? She trained them to be wonderful women of Christ. Wives. And her home had a reputation of what? It was the training home of Christian wives. And about 200 of the girls who were taken off the streets, married off to pastors and preachers, who then became ministers to China, to Korea, to Japan, to Australia, Mauritius, and South India, which caused one of them to say what the London Missionary Society failed to do, to train Chinese men to send them back to China. Sophia Cook was raised by God to do 
by sending wives to go with them when the time was right to bear fruit for the gospel. You know, what she did was radically brave at that time. So what's the common thing between Keysbury, the ones who preached the gospel so that those who were from secret societies left them, to Sophia Cook? The common thing is that they were constantly reconnected back. So the gospel and them in the 1800s, theirs was a true experience of faith, hope that sprang from their spread a faith and love that sprang from their hope in heaven. And then they were always on the move for Christ. Each one of them, the chapter given to this portion is, they wanted to make their lives count for Jesus. And in humanly impossible situations, they could have stayed back in the comfort of London, the comfort of England, which was the richest nation at the time, and London was the number one city of the world. As they arrived in Malaya, jungle-infested, malaria-infested, full of disease and full of crime, supernaturally accomplished. High calling from God, great power from God as they prayed to God. Key thing, keep connecting back to Jesus. Keep connecting back to Jesus and then you can do this. They wanted their lives to count for God. And so we presented to you God's great blessing upon us. What about us hearing the gospel week by week, at least over the last 30 years, I've stood here preaching the gospel to you. And I pray and hope that it is reproducing true love, true faith, true faith, true love from our true hope in heaven. And that we have been on our move for Christ. So ARPC, we said in that short video we played, for us to be praying and rejoicing, as we receive this from God's hand and rightly respond to God. Praise God for the spiritual growth in conversions, all the way from the way we started in Woodlands with the Boys Brigade and Girls Brigade, to the small team here at Adam Road, doing tuition ministry, a Saturday service, to then rebuilding this building. God has brought numerical growth to our children from two children in 1990 to a thousand children on record, six to seven hundred attending our services in Children's Church at Adam and Bishan, to 300 youth, to about 2,000 adults in our services. And because of this growth, God in His time brought the hardware growth. We were previously a semi-detached house here, and with, and with partnership with Princep Street, generous Princep Street, they sold Racecourse Road to help us build this, and we could now house 350 people in 1994, we outgrew that by 2006. We went through a main upgrading program, and then it grew from about 800 to 1,400 people. And by 2014, we were invited to be the anchor church at Ko Chuan Presbyterian Secondary School to help with the chaplaincy work. And so we became one church in two places, at Adam and at Bishan. And by God's grace, we've grown to what it is. And now, God in His kindness, with all the financial resources given to us, built up over the last 10 years. He has blessed us with a place that we never thought. In all these years, we wrestled with, will we ever get a gazetted place of worship? And God has given, us to, given this to us. So the two gospel truths, the mustard seed gospel growth, the faithful servant have guided us to do God's work, God's way for God's glory, never, and God's work done God's way for God's glory will never lack God's supply. 
that's a quotation, I think, a paraphrase of what Hudson Taylor said. As he went out to the most populous nation at that time, China, and he kept going back to, to England to raise funds for this work. England to raise funds for this work. The work is growing. Please finance us. God's vision to reach Singapore, we must know. Though it seems very crowded in one church, but 80% of Singaporeans are still not believers. Which means when you get on a bus, when you get on a train, when you go into a class, when you walk into your office, out of 10 people there, 8 still do not know of the beautiful Saviour and the beautiful salvation God has brought to us. So it's an unfinished task. We mustn't settle and be comfortable. Whatever buildings God gives us, whatever hardware, is for Christ and God's glory, never for our comfort. And so bigger social scourges today of the 21st century, old sin, new faces, is still the domain of darkness of Satan. But the new face, the new mask, do you know that pornography is enslaving young and old men and women and making you and me vegetables in front of a phone from morning to night? That digital addiction leads to digital destruction? And so we started a mental wellness ministry and it's been used by God to reach out in just in two years. We must know that these are the addictions that come from the idolatry of life. We think we can live life disconnected from God. We know how to handle life. And there are broken people. There are more and more breakups in marriages, more and more breakdowns in families, and lostness in life. And so here in ARPC, the new ministries we've started, not the orphanages to take the young girls off the streets, we've started mental wellness, special needs support network, marketplace ministry. And so a few weeks ago, I, I shared all my struggles that I felt slightly discouraged, a bit under the weather, spiritual attack. And this lady wrote in, you know, Pastor Chris, I just want to encourage you. When I came, I came to that seminar run by your mental wellness ministry. And you spoke about suicide. And together with that doctor, that, that message really ministered to me. You know how many people are depressed? You know how many people are struck with mental unwellness? This cabin fever... Right. There is, in one sense, no choice but to open up because us being stuck in virtuality, virtuality is not reality, virtuality is not humanity, virtuality is unreality. We can't zoom from morning to night. We need hardware places to meet, to love people, to look them in the eye, to see the sorrow in their eyes, to, to feel the joy in their eyes, uh, in, in their lives. And so, friends, God has blessed us. There's still a great number to reach and we just found out from this COVID-19 there are 700,000 foreign workers, 400 of them mainly in construction work and there's such a great need to reach out to them, adopt a dorm, support, sponsor them and by God's grace, maybe you should go out and do this. And so, very importantly, this is what we do. We preach the gospel. We save lives. We take people out of the domain of darkness into His wonderful light. We don't always succeed, but I want to say to you, we try from our children's church to our basic, to our Mandarin ministry, to bus, to prison ministry, to our marketplace ministry, to our mental wellness, to our special needs, we try. We try, I try from every moment. And so, was it two weeks ago, it was Father's Day, and it got quite a good number of Father's Day's greeting and thank you for the encouragement. But it was a very busy weekend, a busy Sunday, and I 
never got to reply to those messages and are still catching up because preparing for things, preparing for the ACM, preparing for this, uh, it's taken a lot of my time and energy. And so by midnight, I managed to send a message to one who I thought I should really send a message. I said to him, thank you for the greeting this morning. I'm so sorry because he, he came and he asked for help. I'm so sorry that by the time I tried to counsel you and your wife, I couldn't save your marriage. Because for me, when I celebrate Father's Day, I've got a good wife, my marriage is intact by God. But a good number of us who celebrate our Father's Days and our Mother's Days, our marriages have fallen apart. And before I hit the bed, after a long Sunday, God burdened my heart through His Spirit to just send that message to Him and say sorry. I tried my best. I thought I could convince. It's never me, but God using me to convince your wife, but I failed. And He said, Chris, don't be sorry. Right? I'm still carrying on. The most important thing is that I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus. The most important thing is that I'm growing in my relationship reconnected to Christ. For many years, I lost that connection and that's why this went out of the window. And friends, and so with that, we remind ourselves from biblical history to church history in Singapore, to our own history here at ARPC. Not every church experienced the phenomenal spiritual growth the phenomenal numerical growth. And we mustn't think that we are blessed because there is no responsibility or ministry. So we're not asking you as members and regulars to give to a building, but give to God's vision of proclaiming Christ, of bringing Christ into people's hearts, into people's homes, into people's lives, to save them from the domain of darkness, to bring them into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And we are His vessels for doing that. And if we don't get this right, friends, we would have missed why God has blessed us from that semi-detached house to this building, to ARPC at two places, to now what He's asking us to do. So our vision is blessed to be God's blessing for God's glory. ARPC stands for Adam Road Presbyterian Church. But the better acronym, the gospel acronym, is always reaching people for Christ. Not just in Singapore, but beyond Singapore and to the world. And so with that, I ask you, do you believe that we are the only ones, the Church of Jesus Christ holds the key to the future? Because the key to the future is Jesus coming to rescue us from the domain of darkness. I'll never forget this. I walk into this marriage and it was on tenterhooks, it was on thin eyes. And I went again and again. And the spouse said to me, the wife said to me, every time you are here, there is so much hope that this marriage can be saved, this family can be saved. But the moment you walk out, it would seem like the hope goes. No, friends. It's not every time Christian is there. But every time Chris or any true believer in Jesus brings the Bible, brings the gospel, and reconnects us to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Lord, there is hope. Hope for the secret societies. Hope for the abused children of 200 years ago. Hope for the new addictions today. Hope for the new destructions today. Hope 
And I pray that you understand it is God calling us to this vision. May God bless us and empower us. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Spirit you will cause us to see the Lord Jesus more and more clearly, to know him more and more dearly, and in doing so, that your will, your will to save us from Satan, your will to wash us of sin, your will to pluck us from the domain of darkness into the wonderful kingdom of your Son, may you so empower us by your Spirit. Forgive us when we slowly but surely lose that wonderful connection with Jesus. Forgive us when we, our lives become horizontal and we're just happy with churchianity. And we know that every single person from Paul to the missionaries who came here, from the Keysburys to the Sophia Cooks, each one of them wanted their life to count for you. And they wanted to experience the true Christian experience of faith in Christ Jesus, bring about love, love for those who really need the saving love of Jesus from the hope that springs from heaven. And for all of us who claim this true experience, may we be on our tr the true mission, on, on the move to save people from the darkness of Satan and his rule in our lives. So we thank you and we pray that you continue to work in our nation. We pray for the general elections, that those who have, you have ordained to rule this nation will indeed rule. We pray to trust you in everything, for all authorities have been put in your place, you assure us. And we pray for ourselves, as citizens of your kingdom, that you increasingly burden our heart and delight us in your will, that you have called us and blessed us here in AOPC, and so may we step forward in faith and obedience, in unity, in clarity, that we are out for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all. And we pray to see you next week. Please vote prayerfully and wisely in the general elections. And please also, as members of RPC, join in our uh, ECM. The last day for voting is 07 is 07 which is 7 of 7, the perfect number. You cannot forget this. And don't forget, we are voting for the re-election of our associate ministers, right, Joe, Edmund and Jeff, as associate ministers, and also for our elders and our deacons, and also, importantly, for God's gift at Bukit Batok West. The Lord guide you and bless you. Amen. <laughs>